And then we get to this passage and basically the rest of chapter 6, and Jesus shifts things a little bit. John chapter 6, and I'll begin reading in verse number 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive out or drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day, part of the song we sang last week. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. Then what follows this is a long conversation, basically a debate and argument between Jesus and the various leaders about different sayings that Jesus has that are difficult for them to understand. Basically, when he begins to describe the miracle of communion, he then begins to say, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. Another group of sayings that has caused some challenge for different parts of the body of Christ over the years. But as I mentioned in the opening, I want to take, I want to talk about the assurance that you and I have as believers. The assurance that we can have that as the song we sang today, church, God will always be there. He will always be there. God will always care. God will always be looking to work on your behalf. God will always love us and not just love you, but demonstrate that love in many ways. Of this, every believer without assurance can be assured. It doesn't matter how close your walk with the Lord is. It doesn't really matter how you're feeling at any given moment. God loves you and cares about you. Are there things we do that can get in the way of his hand? Yeah. Are there things we can do to war against his desired path for us? Yes. Are, his, are there plans he has for us for which we can answer no? Yes. People do it every day. But if there is trouble or confusion or distance between us and the Lord, the source of those things is always easy and quickly to identify. It's not him. It's you and I. But the assurance of the Lord's presence, the assurance of the Lord's power, and probably even more importantly, the assurance of the Lord's purpose in our lives should bring two things to every one of us, and that's peace and joy. We all know the verse. We quote it so often. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 10 Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have prepared nothing. This day is holy to our Lord. This is the rebuilding of the temple. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh, that should resonate with each one of us. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now that Hebrew word there for strength literally means a place of safety and protection. For the most part, when many people think of the word strength, they think in terms of power, and that's fine. His joy 
gives us an ability to overcome many things, but it also provides for us mentally and emotionally, as well as physically, a place of safety and protection. We are protected by the joy of the Lord. Being without his joy, and let's be honest, makes us, any one of us, vulnerable. Most Christians that slide back in their walk with the Lord do so because something or some situation has begun to rob them of their joy. And his joy is not just help to help us feel good, but his joy is present in our lives to give us a strength that helps protect us from the nonsense that goes out in the world today. Now, in the beginning of verse 37 that we read, Jesus says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. I think most of us realize here that you and I can't get anybody saved. And if you have the ability to get people saved, let me turn the mic over to you right now. Um, but I think most of us realize that we can't make anyone embrace his kingdom. The work of God, the Father, through the Holy Spirit is what draws us. The Bible is clear. We love him because he first loved us. John chapter 6, going down to verse 44, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We often use the phrase to describe the beginning of our journey with Jesus is that I found God or I found the Lord. Let's be clear. He found you. He came to you. And you in your infinite wisdom and brilliance decided to respond to God. We have a role to play as in any relationship in responding to this drawing and his call. But most agree here throughout the body of Christ. And we have an assurance that when someone comes to the Lord gently, the end of verse 37, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. No one ever has to come to Jesus and ever wonder, will he accept me? It doesn't matter what your life before him has been like. It doesn't matter for how long you have run away from him. The moment you and I come back to him, the moment you and I step foot into his presence, he is opening his arms and welcoming us gladly. Now, I believe strongly that whomever genuinely comes to the Lord has an assurance of his love and his joy. And his love involves, as we talked about, and his joy involves, as that Hebrew word really goes into depth, not just his power, but his safety and protection. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 reads, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Anyone ever do something stupid? Don't raise your hands. Do, and I'm talking after you came to the Lord. See, before you came to the Lord, it was before. But there are those in the church who give the impression that, well, after you come to the Lord, my life has been perfect. First of all, you're either deluded or a complete liar or both. But one thing is true. 
That once we come to the Lord, we have an assurance that no matter what trial we go through, no matter what temptation we face, no matter what difficult season comes into our life, anything that we face, God has provided a way out of it. God has provided a way not only to escape it, but as this says in 1 Corinthians 10, to endure it without falling to the temptation. That means when a Christian falls, whatever excuse is offered, it can't be where was God? Because God provides a way. We can't say, Lord, why didn't you make a way? He did. We didn't either embrace it or we've been so blind we didn't see it. In every trial, he will provide a way for you to resist the temptation. And that resistance, as this passage we just read in 1 Corinthians 10 says, will involve endurance. We would rather have his power come in and provide us escape. But he gives us something that I think is even more powerful than, endure, than, than, than escaping something, and that's being able to put up with it. How many like putting up with stuff? Don't raise your hands. No one does. So the way out of temptation you, can involve you being stronger. Now, we would always want when we're going through something, Lord, deliver me. But many times when we're going through something, the Lord is, I'm going to strengthen you and give you the power to endure and be a witness to all those around you. But Christians fall. Sometimes really bad. Sometimes really, really bad. But Jesus said, nothing given to me he will lose. So when you see a strong, lifelong Christian walk away from the Lord, what happened? And this has been a source of debate in church circles and biblical scholars and people with a whole lot more letters after their names than I'm ever going to have for centuries. Was Jesus not strong enough to hold on to them? Well, I don't see that. Were they not a Christian all the time that they were before this episode in their life occurred and all of a sudden they're not in the same place? Honestly, I don't see that either. You see, there is teaching that some embrace that God only intended or predestined some people to be saved. And it involved this real confusing debate about God who can see from time to eternity. Now, I've been a science fiction fan since I was a teenager. I love watching science fiction. Uh, my wife and I can probably uh, uh, recite most of the dialogue of every single Star Trek series has ever been. And we've probably, in the original Star Trek series, seen every episode, let me be conservative, about a million times. And so a lot of these science fiction uh, stories talk about this concept of time travel and that if you go back in time and you change things, you never know what the ultimate effect's going to be. And I always look at that stuff and I will admit I start to get a headache. I do. And then we come to the reality, not science fiction, but the truth and reality of that we are people and we are creatures that are bound by time, and yet we serve a God who is not. We serve a God who is beyond time, and he sees from beginning to end. 
And so there has been a debate and excuses offered by those who don't want to come to the Lord. Well, if God knows what's going to happen, then it doesn't matter what I do. God has made it clear throughout his scripture that the choices you and I make have an impact in this life and for eternity. Nothing we decide to debate or come up with in our minds changes the fact that you and I are always faced each and every day with choices. And it's in many cases boils down, are we going to choose God and his ways or not? But what about this whole concept of time? And are you going to choose God or not? But the debate rages on. And on this concept of, well, that God only intended some people to be saved because they were predestined. And I'm in school now and it still gives me a headache. So I come back to Second Peter, chapter three, verse number nine, where it says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead, he is patient with you. Aren't you glad God is patient with you? Not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. It is God's desire. It is God's hope. It is God's heart that every single person ever born would come to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That is God's desire. It is clear from the scripture. To me, this debate misses the point of the whole passage. Jesus wants a relationship, a saving relationship with everyone. Everyone. If it was his predetermined will or predetermined outcome that some were not going to come to him, then why would he desire something that was predetermined not to happen? And I'm getting a headache already. Jesus has promised to always be there. Jesus has promised to take your and mine mustard seed faith and move mountains with it. When you and I can't hold on to life, and how many know what that means? When you've gone through something and you just feel you can't hold on any longer, aren't you glad Jesus can hold on to you? Aren't you glad for that? He is strong enough to keep his grip on you. We can be assured. We have a believer's assurance that our Lord is able to keep us and even when our strength is gone. And we've all been there. But what if someone lets go willingly, voluntarily? Matthew chapter 19, I read from beginning in verse number 16. Just then a man came to Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one good who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false witness. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 20, all these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then Come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This passage has always fascinated me 
to think that this young man walking up to Jesus, face-to-face invitation, left him sad. But it's not the most incredible part of the story. To me, what's the most incredible part of the story is not the questions that he asked or the answers that Jesus gave, is that when the man walked away, Jesus let him. He didn't water down the gospel so that he would have a way to come in. He didn't tell him, well, give it a try and then we'll work on other things. He gave him the requirements. And when he wasn't willing to submit to it, he walked away and Jesus led him. Let's be honest. Someone walks into most churches in America and that person is visibly well off. And they say, what must I do to join this church? What must I do to become a Christian? We're going to show that person the front row of the, of, of the church. We're going to put a tithe envelope in their hands and we're going to see what we can get out of them. That's not the gospel. And the young man only heard the part about sell all that you have. He missed the second part of what Jesus offered because then he said, come, follow me. But so many people just see on the outside. We would see Many people would see, well, this is obviously an answer to prayer for our church building program, or God is bringing him here to do a work in his life. No, this man came to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and looked at his heart and offered him the answers he was seeking, but he wasn't willing to embrace it. Jesus loved him deeply, enough to hold the line and answer the question. You know, one of the things we were talking about, the men on Thursday night, was how we don't hold, especially young people, but people in general today, accountable. That we've kind of watered things down and in an effort, especially us as parents, to provide all the things that are uh, for our children that they, that we didn't have, we don't wind up providing them the things we did have. Like a sense of honor and a sense of, of, of family and things like that. And all of us have been there. Jesus loved this man, and his love was demonstrated in the line that he drew. Do I believe that Jesus is strong enough to hold on to those who come to him? Yeah, I do. Do I believe Jesus can hold us safely, even in the worst seasons and in the worst moments of our lives? Yes, I do. Do I believe that thinking once that thinking once committed Christians can go through seasons and things that bring them to a crossroad that they even begin to wonder in their own heart, is God real? Yeah, I'm counseled with many lifelong Christians who come to that crossroad. Do I believe that once committed believers can walk away from the Lord? Yes, I do. So then the question comes, are they still saved and going to heaven? And my answer is clear. I have absolutely no idea. And anyway, that is always between them and God. It is not for me to decide. It is not for me to debate. I will not debate things that I have no ability to truly understand. I also will not debate things that are settled for me. See, most people enter into debates today and they're just looking to argue. I can't stand that. How was I in a sports official 15 years? The grace of God. 
Because most managers or coaches, when they come up to an official to argue, they know the call is not going to get changed. They know nothing is going to change what happened. They just want to argue. Anybody know people like that who just want to argue? No, I know it's only on the sports field where that happens. It doesn't happen in real life. So there are things I will debate you as long as you convince me that it's an open, honest debate. That you're really coming to the conversation and the debate with an open mind. And I will come to the debate with an open mind. But there are debates I won't get into because I'm not open-minded about them. If you want to have a debate with me about whether or not Jesus is Lord, I will not debate that. That is settled for me. Jesus is Lord. Nothing you say to me, nothing I experience will ever change that. Jesus is Lord. This has plagued the church for centuries. I have an assurance that he loves me. I have an assurance he will walk with me. I have an assurance that when it was raining this morning, I was not going to need an ark to get to church. And I'm so glad your arcs worked as well. You know, so often when I am asked to officiate at a funeral or a wake, inevitably, no matter what is or isn't known about the person that passed away, at least one, if not many people in the time I'm there are going to ask me, what do I think? And they'll come up to me and say, Pastor, what do you think? And I always answer the same way. About what? I make them specify. Well, this person here, do you think they're in heaven right now? And I try to be comforting and I try to be caring even in situations where I know a whole lot about the person or where I know nothing about the person. And my honest answer is always the same. What I think doesn't matter. What God thinks matters. And that's between them and God. Now you're going to say that's not very comforting. Truth should be comforting. Even if it was someone that I've known for decades and they're a lifelong Christian and they preach the gospel and worship him and follow him to their very last breath, are they in heaven? Probably. But do I know for sure? It isn't for me to know for sure. It's between them and God. Why is it that we have this need to step into areas where only God knows? I am comforted by the fact that the God that I serve is beyond my comprehension. He is bigger than my ability to think. He is bigger than my ability to know. God is a mystery. Anyone ever experienced that? I know I have. But what's clear is that what I don't understand about God doesn't change what I do understand about God. And that he died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the grave to show me that there is power over sin and the grave. And he gives each and every one of us an assurance of his presence and his joy and his power to walk through each and every day that we're on this planet. That is something I can be assured of. He holds me in the palm of his hand. Scholars and Theologians can argue all they want about whether or not people can walk out of his hand. I would rather, if I see someone not following him closely, let's bring them back to Jesus and let God decide 
about their eternal destiny. I don't have all the answers. But one thing I do know, God is able. Our God is able. Now, the rest of chapter six basically is this long debate. Because Jesus then talks about some of the things in chapter at the end from this point on chapter six, verse 41 to the end of the chapter, which is another 30 verses. So it's a long debate about whether about he begins to say, if you don't eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And let's be honest, if someone said that to you, that's going to raise an eyebrow. I've got to do what? I've got to eat of your what and drink of your what? So them having a little kickback, I can understand. And even that has created some issue and challenge throughout the church, especially after the Reformation, about what actually happens in communion. Another debate I am not going to enter into. One thing I know is that I want to be part of Jesus. I want to follow him each and every day. I want and a, uh, a close walk with him. And he has assured me that all that's possible. Aren't you glad for that? You don't have to walk wondering. In, in, in studying for this message and messages coming up, I was reading in one commentary a, a great, great illustration. A woman had come up to a preacher and said, how do I know that I'm a Christian? How do I know that I'm saved? That's an honest question a lot of people ask that have come to the Lord and been with him for a long time. How do I know? Wise preacher said to um, to the, the woman he was talking to, do you love God perfectly? And she said, well, no, I don't. Do you love him 80% perfectly? He said, no, probably not. Do you love him 50% perfectly? And she said, probably not. And they said, do you love him at all? And she said, absolutely, I do. And then he told her, rest assured, because the only way you could love God is if he first loved you. And he puts in you and I the ability to love him back. Even our faith comes from him. Our worship comes from him. Every breath that we give to him came from him. So church, rest assured, do you love Jesus today? I do. Am I perfect in that love? Absolutely not. I mess up all the time. And that's okay. Don't look at me so pious. So do you. We all do. But I know that no matter what, he's always going to be there. And that in my weakness, in my lack of consistency, in my failures, he is able. He is able to keep me and keep all that I've committed to him, as later in this passage says, until the last day. A day that, by the signs that we're seeing, is getting closer and closer every moment. God is able. Church, our God is able. He can bring that loved one you're praying for back to the Lord. My dad was a good man. He was faithful to his family. He worked hard 
spent four years in the Air Force and learned how to be a machinist, and then spent his entire working life in blue collar labor as a machinist. Always brought his paycheck home, uh, was, was a good dad, but really never had any desire for the things of God. Never wanted anything like that. And it was really my mom who took me to church. And, and as I was sharing with someone recently, the, the male example in my life that was the inspiration for who I am today was my grandfather on my mom's side. He was the spiritual leader of a large family. And as, even as a layman, he wasn't a minister. He planted at least 30 or 40 churches in Cuba over the course of his lifetime. Um, so he was the model for me. But my dad was a good man. And when my mother died, uh, she was 47 years old. She died from complications from a car accident. And my dad was broken. This, their marriage was strong, and he was broken. And it was two years later. No, it was about a year later. Because after she died, he started coming to church. And my dad was sneaky. He didn't want to come to church Sunday morning. He, I was attending at a church, Lighthouse Tabernacle, and at that time, they had a Sunday evening service. So Sunday morning, he didn't want to go because the church was packed. And Sunday evening, he went because there was like five or six people. And he wanted to, he didn't want to, he still wasn't cool with people, but he wanted to come to church. Now, I'll never forget that Sunday night sitting in the sound room at Lighthouse when Pastor Fox gave the invitation and my father walked up. And he was a different man afterward. God is able. There isn't anybody out of his reach. There isn't anybody beyond his hand. No one. Oh, you don't understand my friend. You don't understand my son. You don't understand my sister or my brother. You don't understand my dad. But I understand God. And he is able to come into any life, into any person, and work a miracle. And I've heard people say, well, if, this, if God came into my friend's life, it would be a miracle. Aren't you a miracle? I'm a miracle. We're all miracles. That's what he does. He's a miracle worker. So I'm going to just walk away from all these debates. I'd rather walk in people's lives and just let them know they need Jesus and Jesus is there. And no matter what they're going through, no matter what questions they have, no matter what they're seeking, they come to a God who is able. Church, your God is able. Their God is able to keep them and to hold them and to minister to them. He is able to keep you. So I encourage everybody, since Jesus is able to keep you, let him keep you. Stand with me, please.